0: You're listening to the Easter episode of the Word of Life AG podcast. Today, we wrap up our Greater Than Expected series. Pastor Tom brought us our final message in the series titled Savior of the World. Let's check it out. Well, good morning, Word of Life. Happy Easter. It is wonderful to be able to come and celebrate Resurrection Sunday together. I don't know about you, but that video that we just watched, it just stirs me. I find it so impactful uh, to hear from people that will wake up tomorrow morning and do any manner of things, all different walks of life, whatever, different stages of life, different things that are going on to make up their daily agenda, I'm sure. And here they are telling us about how amazing Jesus is. When uh, I got a chance to see the video earlier this week, I messaged back to Luke and the team. I think that is possibly the best church video I've ever seen because it's just so honest. It's truthful. It's real. These are real people who have been impacted by the goodness of God and so I really appreciate that video, amen. So traditionally, in the church calendar over Easter, we have Good Friday, of course, which is the day when uh, Jesus died, and we remember that as he went to the cross. And Good Friday, uh, and rightfully so, is uh, a very reflective day. It's, you know, it's quiet. It's something where we take consideration, and we remember that the cross was an awful ordeal that Jesus went through. And then, uh, of course, we have Resurrection Sunday, and in between them, we have Saturday, which is traditionally known as Silent Saturday. We have Huey here yesterday for Easter Feaster, You'll know that it was not a silent Saturday, especially in the gym with the carnival games going on. But if you were here yesterday, you'll know it was a wonderful outreach event that we had. A number of people from the community came and hung out with us. It was really wonderful. I had a great time. My kids had the best time. And I was able to meet a number of people that I hadn't had a chance to meet before. Also had a chance to see some of those folks here today. So, so glad uh, if you were able to come be a part of yesterday and then you're here today. It is great to be able to come and hang out with you. But Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we remember and reflect on the message of Jesus. And of course, we talk about Jesus every single week here at the church. And as I was thinking about that this week and thinking about what I was going to come and share and uh, hopefully something that's going to be encouraging and uplifting and maybe even challenging for you this morning, I was thinking about, you know, well, what is it that we should talk about? And it led me to a question. And the question that it led me to is one that I want to pose to you right at the outset. And then I want to unpack this a little bit and hopefully it's helpful. The question is simply this, is the message of Jesus something we should care about? Is the message of Jesus something we should care about? Now, I'm a preacher and I'm a pastor at a church, so obviously you know what I would say. But as I mentioned, we just saw a video filled with a number of people that make up our church and there's many, many more people that could have filmed similar stories. Those aren't people that are part of a church staff and they're not necessarily preachers in the same way that those of us that are on church staff are. But there are people all over the world and people that make up our church that would say that they are dramatically different, God has gotten involved, life change has happened because of the message of Jesus. There are countless people all over the globe who would point to the message of Jesus and consequently the faith that they have in him to be the single most important aspect of their lives. But for us as individuals, should we care about your message of Easter? Should it affect us that 2,000 years ago some ladies went to tend to the dead body of a friend only to find an empty tomb? Is this something we should care about? I want to read something from John's gospel, which is uh, John wrote down uh, an account of the life of Jesus. And he was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He's one of Jesus' closest friends. And we're going to look at a moment in the life of Jesus from John 4. And this is early in the ministry of Jesus, probably around three years before his crucifixion. But Jesus and the disciples, they're traveling through Samaria. And the disciples go to get some food while Jesus stays by himself near a well. While he's there, a local woman comes to draw water from the well that Jesus is waiting by. This lady has a complicated past. It appears that she has a bad reputation around town. And through conversation, Jesus just calls it out. All her mistakes, all her regrets, all the reasons that she'd gotten a bad reputation, all the reasons that people didn't want to associate with her. In this conversation, Jesus tells her that he can give her eternal life and that he is the Messiah and that the Jewish people have been waiting for. And this is John 4, signing verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. He called out all the junk, all the mistakes, all the regrets, all the things I'm ashamed of, all the reasons that I've got a bad reputation. Could he possibly be the Messiah? The woman runs back to the village to see the very same people who look down on her, the people who've ostracized her, and she tells them about her encounter with Jesus. And people start to go to the well to listen for themselves, and a crowd starts to gather around Jesus. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know he is indeed the savior of the world. Now this is a layered story. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. But what I want to point to today is that there are two things. After hearing the woman share her story and then spending two days listening to Jesus themselves, they came to a conclusion that Jesus is the savior of the world. They heard what she had to say. That got them interested. And then they go to Jesus and for two days they listen to him teach and him to explain and him to talk and for him to reveal things to them. And they came to the conclusion, Jesus is the savior of the world. Not just a really nice guy, not just a good teacher, not just someone they can respect, not just somebody with some really helpful social ideas, not just a strong leader, but the savior of the world. And there's a few times in the Bible where we see Jesus described this way. Here's another one, this time from a letter that John wrote. We have seen with our own eyes, and now testify, that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. We have seen with our own eyes. Well, who is the we that John is talking about? The safest and most logical assumption is that this is Jesus' earliest followers, the apostles, who walked with Jesus on earth. These are the people whose opinion should matter to us. John is telling us, with our eyes, Based on our experience, that we saw him, we ate with him, we met with him, we walked with him, we talked with him, we listened to him teach, we saw the miracles, we spent years with him. The conclusion they came to is we testify that he is the Savior of the world. The people who got the closest, realest view of Jesus came to the conclusion he is the Savior of the world. And we see this at the very first Christmas, the night Jesus was born, The angels go to visit the shepherds, and they say, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. The Savior is born in Bethlehem. The word Savior, when used to describe Jesus, it doesn't appear to be a title for him, but rather a description of what he's doing. The word Savior, when used to talk about Jesus, is an explanation of his mission, what he's doing, how he's moving, and how he's maneuvering in the world, that he's rescuing and delivering, that he is the Savior of the world. And that phrase, Savior of the world, it leads to two conclusions, really, if you think about it, the two conclusions about the description, Savior of the world, is firstly, that the world needs saving. The second is that the Savior is able to save the whole world. And that is who we are told Jesus is, that he is the Savior of the world. And it's worth considering those two conclusions. I want to start with the first one. The two conclusions about the description, Savior of the world, the first the world needs saving. A quick look at the world around us confirms this. We see it daily in every area of life. Any study of human history will tell us that it is undeniable that there is something wrong in the world. I'll regularly talk with people who don't share my faith in Jesus and we'll start talking and I'll find common ground oftentimes by saying, yeah, but there's a problem in the world, things are messed up. And very rarely, I'm struggling to think of a single time where someone has pushed back and said, no, there's no problem. Things are fine, everything is going as it should. It's very easy, it's self-evident, it's plain to see that there is something wrong. It's self-evident. People treat each other in terrible ways. People respond with anger to unfairness of life. We're driven by greed and insecurity. We try to heal hurts and trauma with things that compound problems. We keep going back to devastating habits even though it's causing disappointment. We look down on others to feel better about ourselves. Addictions keep ruining people's lives. We're trapped by shame and regret. Selfishness and self-saddenedness dominates our relationships. We all live in the consequences of the mess and devastation others have made, as well as the messes we've made ourselves and the problems that we've caused. But if you don't care about the problem, you won't care about the solution. If you do not care about the problem, if you don't care the devastation that happens, the problem that is in the world, the way that it exists, that life is unfair, that people treat each other in terrible ways, that there is a deep dysfunction at work in our lives, if we don't care about that, then the message of Jesus will never ever make sense. If we don't care about the problem, why would we care at all about the solution? The Bible describes the problem as sin. And we hate that word. It makes us uncomfortable. Unfortunately, people with bad motives have manipulated that word in the past to gain control over people and do all kinds of terrible things. But the word sin is a real word that we need to recognize and we need to acknowledge this is the problem at work in our lives. It's loaded with guilt and shame, but it does point to the problem that we have. The message of Jesus does not make sense if we don't acknowledge the problem of sin. And once we acknowledge that problem and then we hear the news of the Savior of the world, then we care about the message of Jesus. It's time to stop believing that God is trying to trip us up because of our sin, but rather never forget that he's a loving father who wants to rescue us from the biggest problem that we have, a father who would send Jesus to the cross so the awful impact of sin can be eradicated in our lives and we can embrace new life in him. And all of this is motivated by the pure love of the Father who wants to welcome us home. As we consider the description of Jesus as the Savior of the world, it's essential to remember that the world needs saving. The world needs a Savior. The second conclusion I mentioned a moment ago is that the Savior is able to save the whole world. If we believe and accept that there's something deeply wrong in the world and that there's a deep problem with humanity, the news about a savior is good news. The message of Jesus is not that he's only a savior of a few, but of the many. All the way back in Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus, let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God, there is no other. Another verse from the letter from John. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And this sounds great, but it's not only theory. The last thing that Jesus did as he walked on the earth was he sent his followers into all the world to spread the good news, and it worked. The book of Colossians was written a few years after Jesus. This is Colossians 1.6. The same good news, the same message of Jesus, the message of a savior that came to you is going out All over the world, it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. It was true 2,000 years ago when the letter to the Colossians was written, and it's true today, that the message of Jesus is going out all over the world, that it's changing lives. We're getting ready as we've already talked about today that we're going to be supporting Convoy of Hope through One Day to Feed the World. There are millions of people that are hearing the good news of Jesus because of the amazing work this organization does. We've heard great stories from people in our church today. There are churches all over the world celebrating Easter services this morning, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. The message of Jesus is a message for all people everywhere. Neither race, nor ethnicity, nor background, nor social status, nor financial standing changes this. This is a message of a Savior for everyone, everywhere, ever. Amen. The message of Jesus is for each and every one of us. The message that the devastating power of sin can be broken in people's lives is for everyone. The whole world needs a savior and has a savior. The question that I've been tangled with all week, is the message of Jesus something we should care about? If we believe this, it's the most important thing in the world. It means that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the single most important moment in all of human history. The Savior, Jesus, and his sacrifice on the cross is completely life-changing when you believe that it is. If you believe that the cross is the only way and Jesus is the only one. The cross is the only way and Jesus is the only one. The disciples got together with Jesus, their master, and they shared the Last Supper. After they'd finished eating, Judas sneaks out to arrange the arrest of Jesus. At that point, Jesus and three of the disciples go out to spend some time praying, and the disciples, these guys are awesome. Jesus asked them to keep watching and pray, and they keep falling asleep. These guys are real role models. Anyway, I want to read this from Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. At this point in the story, Judas comes, greets Jesus with a kiss as a sign that he's the one the soldiers need to arrest. But look how Jesus is described in the passage that we read in the moments before he's arrested. It says that he became anguished and distressed. He told them, the disciples, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Luke's gospel records that Jesus was sweating blood at this time. But Jesus says, yet I want your will be done, not mine. My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. If there's any other way to save the world, please, can we do that? But this is the only way. This is how the debt gets fully repaid and never needs to be paid again. The punishment is taken by the perfectly innocent on the cross, the sins of the world placed upon him, the only one worthy and only one strong enough to bear it. Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. By taking on the sins of the world, he became the savior of the world. Humanity's sin has forced a distance between God and humanity that we all experience. And this is true for all of us. Humanity couldn't fix ourselves. So God became humanity and sent his son, the only son, who would go on to pay the price on the cross, the debt the humanity owes so that we can have a restored relationship with God. The cross is the only way, and Jesus is the only one. As Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, he recognizes that this is the only way. And fulfilling the will of the Father is more important than anything else. And the next few days for Jesus will be unimaginably awful. The worst imaginable. Horrible for Jesus. He was betrayed by Judas and arrested. He was then abandoned by the disciples who hid in fear. He was denied by Peter. People lied about him as a false witnesses before the fake trial that he was in. He was paraded in front of Pilate and King Herod as a prisoner. The crowd chose Barabbas over him. He was beaten and whipped by the Roman soldiers within an inch of his life. He was forced to drag his own cross through town. And finally, he was nailed to the cross and hung out, naked, ashamed, waiting to die for hours. And even the criminals who were being crucified him that day also mocked him. And after he'd been on the cross for hours, we read this in Matthew 27. About three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Down to verse 50. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. In the moments before Jesus died, he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, this is the opening line from Psalm 22. But up until this point, for the past few days, as Jesus has gone through this terrible ordeal, he's mostly stayed silent, despite all of the things that he's endured. But this moment is the worst. Of all the horrible things that Jesus endured over the last few days, this is the worst of it. Causing Jesus to shout out, why have you abandoned me? Just as sin separates us from God, the son now has the sins of the world placed upon him. And for the first time in all eternity, the son and the father's relationship is broken. The perfect and holy God is distant from sin. And as Jesus becomes the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins, He takes on the sin of the world. We read this verse earlier from John. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of the world. The son now has the sins of the world placed upon him. And for the first time, he experiences what you and I have experienced. Separation from the father. That separation from the father is worse than being betrayed by one of his best friends. That separation from the Father is worse than being arrested under complete lies and a fabrication, being abandoned by the disciples. It's worse than being humiliated in front of Pilate and King Herod as a prisoner. It's worse than watching the crowds choose Barabbas over you. The separation from the Father was worse than being beaten and whipped by the Roman soldiers within an inch of your life. Being separated from the Father was worse than being forced to publicly drag a cross through town Worse than the nails being driven through his hands and feet. Worse than the criminals mocking him. The separation from the Father was worse than being nailed to a cross, lifted up, naked, ashamed, publicly, waiting to die for hours. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When Jesus was praying in Gethsemane, Jesus begs the Father, if there is another way, please, let's do that. Back to Matthew 27, he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. It wasn't the betrayals, it wasn't the beatings, but it was the separation from the father that Jesus was dreading. Jesus experienced our biggest problem. Jesus experienced the effect of sin, the separation from the incredible love of the father. But it goes on, Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. What matters most of all to Jesus is that the will of the Father is accomplished. And what's the will of the Father? That the broken relationship that exists between humanity and our Creator is reconciled and restored. That we can enjoy being saved and rescued. That the power of sin is defeated in our lives. That that separation is mended. 1 Peter. 2:24. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Is the message of Jesus something we should care about? I don't think there's anything we could possibly care about more. Things that seem so essential and vital and worthy of our time, effort, energy, and concern, it all gains a new perspective. The physical agony, the beatings that Jesus went through, the crucifixion itself, it's horrific to think about. And infinitely worse from Jesus was experiencing separation from the Father. And yet he did it for us. He did it for you, he did it for me. He did it for people all over the world. That's what we've read today. This is another verse from Isaiah. Again, this was written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This was all for us. We are the beneficiaries. You and I were his motivation. It was our guilt that needed him to go to the cross. And it was his love for us that caused him to go and endure the cross. When we say, this is for everyone, this is for the whole world, the sins of the world were placed on him. It's general, it's sweeping, it's all-inclusive. That doesn't mean it's not personal. Just because Jesus died for the person next to you doesn't mean he died for you any less. Just because Jesus loves the person two rows over doesn't mean he loves you any less. You're not just included in the group, but you're invited as an individual. For Jesus, the worst part of this was experiencing the separation from the Father because of what he did, we don't have to experience that separation any longer. The promise is that anyone can enjoy this free gift from God, the promise of freedom from sin, the promise of eternal life. And we're not here today because the death of Jesus is the end of the story. We're here today because three days later, some of Jesus' followers, they went, they had seen the body in the tomb on Friday and they found an empty tomb on Sunday. Luke 24:24. 24, 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. We later find out these are angels the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground then the men asked why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive he isn't here he is risen from the dead remember what he told you back in galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that He would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that He had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell His 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. Taking on the sin of the world didn't destroy Jesus, but he defeated the power of sin that is robbing the world. His life now means we can have life. He died so we can die to our old self and embrace the new life that he promises. We can be done with the power of sin reigning in our lives and live with him. We can live with our relationship with the Father, reconciled and repaired and healed and whole. Megan and I, uh, we decided that we were going to lead um, a book club as a small group this semester in the church. We have small groups happening uh, all over the place, all different kinds of groups. We decided we'd do a book club, and we picked a book. It's a well-known—it uh, would be called The Christian Classic. It's called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Towser, and we meet um, Thursday lunchtimes, and we have a great group that meet online to go through that. But I want to read a paragraph from that book that really spoke to me as we went through that this week, and it speaks directly to what we're talking about today. This is from A.W. Tozer. I'm paraphrasing it slightly. Let no one imagine that they will lose any human dignity by voluntarily committing their all to God. This does not degrade them as a person. Rather, they find their rightful place of honor as one made in the image of their creator. They are no longer lost in sin or in disgrace by trying to usurp the place of God. Their honor will be proved by restoring again that stolen throne. In exalting God over all, they find their own highest honor upheld. Anyone who might feel reluctant to surrender their will to the will of God should remember Jesus' words, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. We must, out of necessity, be a servant to someone, either God or to sin. The sinner prides themselves on their independence, completely overlooking the fact that they are the weak slave of the sins that rule over them. The person who surrenders to Christ exchanges a cruel slave driver for a kind and gentle master whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. I read that last one again. The person who surrenders to Christ exchanges a cruel slave driver for a kind and gentle master whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Now, if we don't see the slavery of sin, the problem of sin as a problem, if we don't see its destructive force as the biggest problem we have, then the idea, the concept, the thought of any master seems restrictive. It seems like a negative to have a master. If you settle that you're gonna serve somebody and you believe that sin doesn't lead to peace, but rather sin is a cruel slave driver than the kind master who loves us, who died for us and promises new life and joy is a life-changing news. Romans 6, starting verse five. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Sin has lost its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are set free from the power of sin because we died with Christ. We know we also will live with him. He died once to break the power of sin. Consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God. That's what we just read. Is the message of Jesus something we should care about? If we believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, absolutely. The two conclusions about the Savior of the world is that firstly, the world needs saving, and secondly, that the Savior is able to save the whole world. But if you don't care about the problem, you won't care about the solution. The whole world needs a Savior, and the world has a Savior. The cross is the only way, and Jesus is the only one no matter how bad the beatings were or what it was like to be on the cross, the worst moment for Jesus was when the sins of the world were placed upon him and he experienced separation from the Father for the first time. And he did it for you. You're not included just because you're a part of the group, but you're invited as an individual, invited to heal and restore your relationship with your heavenly Father, invited to overcome the greatest problem we have, an invitation to come and find peace, rest, and freedom as you restore and repair your relationship with the Creator. I got a couple of questions that if you're in the habit of taking notes, go ahead and write these down. If you're not in the habit of taking notes, this would be good to write down something to think about this week and perhaps pray about. First question is this, do you see the need for a Savior? Can you see, is it plain to you? Can you recognize and acknowledge and admit the problem of sin, the devastation of sin, the pain that it is to go through life separated from the Father, do you see the need for a Savior? And the second question, have you taken the message of Jesus personally? If you hear the term, Jesus loves you, do you think, well, yeah, that's the you plural? Or do you believe, yes, Jesus loves me? When you hear Jesus died for you, Do you hear, well, yeah, Jesus died for you, plural. Or do you hear, yes, Jesus loves me so much that he went to the cross for me. Jesus died for me. He endured the cross and the separation of the Father for me. Do you take the message of Jesus personally? I want to reread the first verses that I shared with you today. John 4, starting verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. We heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. We heard him ourselves. Now I can describe to you my three children I have three children. They're wonderful. I love them incredibly. Oldest is 10. Then we have eight-year-old twins. I can show you pictures of them. I can even show you videos. I can tell you some of their little quirks, some of their funny little ways that they have. I can tell you funny stories. I can tell you sad stories. I can describe their characteristics to you. I can try to articulate their personality. And I can spend hours telling you all about my children. And it's nothing compared to you coming to my house and spending an afternoon with them. Then you hear them yourself i can get up here i can tell you how amazing god is and i'll mean every word of it but just like these people in samaria have you heard him for yourself because that is life-changing moment 17 years ago i might need to update that to 18 years now 17 or 18 years ago i was in a church not too dissimilar from this i'd grown up in church I knew the gospel, my life was not centered around God. I was doing my own thing, and it was not going how I thought it was gonna go. And I sat in the church as a young adult, and I heard the message of Jesus, and it came alive for me. I experienced him for myself, and I knew that my life needed to change. I knew everything needed to turn upside down. In the 17, 18 years since then, I've had ups, I've had downs, life has not gone exactly as I would have planned it to go. But in that time, I have never once regretted my decision to follow Jesus. It has been life-changing because my relationship with the Creator, the Father in heaven that loves me indescribably, has been repaired and restored. He's doing a work in my life. If I stand up here and tell you that I'm perfect and I've got it all figured out, you're gonna see my wife hammer me on the back of the head. But I love God. He's done a work in my life. I've seen Him move in incredible ways in my life and in the lives of many, many others and I wanna give you a chance to respond today. If you would say, you know what? I've experienced him for myself. Or you wanna pray, Lord, I wanna experience you. I'm gonna believe that God's gonna move in your heart. You're here today, it's not an accident. You're at this point. You've heard the message of Jesus today, and I wanna give you a chance to respond. So I wanna invite everyone here, if you want, just closing your eyes and bowing your heads. It's just to focus on what matters right now and give some discretion to people around you so that we can really make the most of this moment. But if you would be honest enough and brave enough today to say, Tom, you know what? I'm not living for God. I have not responded to the message of Jesus. I've lived my life as if that was for someone else. But I'm here today, I've heard what's been said, and I know that I need to center my life on Jesus. I need to center my life on God. I need to repair my broken relationship with my Creator, the Heavenly Father that loves me so much that He would send His Son. You know that you know that today is the day where you need to turn it all around. And if that's you, I would love to pray for you. I give you my word. We're not gonna do anything to embarrass anybody. We're gonna do anything that you're gonna regret on the drive home. But when we pray in a moment, I would love to know who we're praying for. So if this is you today, can you just have the courage just to put your hand up for a moment and I'll include you when we pray in a moment. Amen, thank you. Anybody else here? Wonderful, amen, thank you. Anyone else? Awesome, thank you so much. Anyone else? I'm so happy for you. Anyone else? Amazing, thank you. Yes, anyone else? When we pray, I want to include you. If this is it, if this is your moment, if this is the day where you respond to the message of Jesus, I want to pray for you today. Anybody else here? Amen, thank you. I'm glad we waited for you. Amen, anybody else? Amen. Thank you. I'm going to wait just one more moment because I don't want this to pass you by. If this is the moment where you turn your life around, you center yourself on God, you start to live with God in the picture, things start to change. If that's you today, just put your hand in the air and we'll pray. Yes, I'm so glad we waited for you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Word of life on this Easter Resurrection Sunday. Can we please celebrate people making the best decision they will ever make? Amen. Amen. For those of you that put your hand up, I'm so happy for you. This is the best decision you could ever make. We're going to pray a prayer together. We do this at the end of every service. The words are on the screen. I want to encourage every single person here to pray this. Pray this with us. And as you you prayed this for the first time, I want you to pray this believing that God answers a prayer like this in a life-changing way. So come on, everybody. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, everybody, one more time.